3: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode three hundred ninety-five of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's Sunday, February twenty seventh, two thousand twenty-two. March is right around the corner. I believe that this is the last episode, barring any, you know, breaking news that we will record in the month of February. Which means the next time we talk to you after today, it will be March, our favorite time of the year. On this. Show. I am your host, Sam Klein. Uh, back again from another absence. I am sorry again for having missed another show, uh, especially after a after a victory midweek. But we have a very fun one to talk about today. I am your host for this episode. I am joined as always by Donald and Jason. Uh, Jason, I will start with you. Good
1: morning, sir. How are you? Doing really great. Um, that, that was. It's so relaxing to have a game where you you don't you don't have to sweat it at all ever like <laughs> even I, I think Syracuse made Syracuse made a couple little runs but you were never sweating it if you were a Duke fan that's fun
3: there was a point at the end of the first half where Syracuse was on like a, a 15 point run basically um which brought the game from like Duke up by triple to Duke up by slightly less than double so that yeah. that just tells you the, the magnitude <laughs> of the beatdown Donald Wine is also here. Donald, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. So I was
0: at the D.C. United season opener last night, which was at the same time as the game. So I watched the game in full this morning, and that was a night nice, I think I liked that because, one, D.C. United won. Congrats to my team. And then also I got to wake up and experience more goodness with this game. Uh, I knew the score, obviously, and I knew how bad we were beating the brakes off of them, but I really enjoyed getting up to watch it in full this morning what a delightful win. Just
3: absolutely delightful. Yeah, the the vibes from this game were were incredibly pleasant. There was as we said, th- there was basically no it wasn't competitive like from the tip Duke went out to I think it was an 11 re- nothing lead and 13 13, 13 14, 14, 14 nothing <laughs> lead. Yeah. And uh and Syracuse basically never came close again. I should also announce before we get into our our normal programming. Uh, I'm sorry if my mouth is a little garbled this morning. I'm just about to finish my half of a uh very large chocolate chip cookie from Levain bakery. Are either of you familiar with Levain bakery? I have heard of it. Yes.
1: I have Uh, never heard of it,
3: but it's a, I'm, I'm not surprised that those were the answers I got. Uh, It is originally from New York city. Uh, I believe they now have one in Washington. There's a bunch in New York. Uh, I believe they now have one in Washington and one recently opened in Boston. Um, If you find yourself in any of those places and can get yourself to a Levain bakery and can stomach the idea of spending $5 on a single cookie, uh, these things will change your life. Uh, it's it's just it, it, it it's different. You, and you can't eat the whole thing. It would like make you explode because they're they're oh. like they're too rich and and too incredible.
1: Oh, I will rise to that challenge. Um, yeah, I can uh, I I can eat anything, even when people think it is way too much to eat. For example, this morning, I had uh, for for breakfast. I went out to I'm I'm on the board of directors of the Atlanta Men's Synagogue Softball League. And, and our softball league. Of had course, our,
3: you, Jason, first of all, of course, of course you, you
1: are. are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, we went out to, to have our, our board meeting that we have at this deli, Goldberg's Deli. And I ordered potato latkes, challah French toast, and an everything bagel. And people were like, you're not going to eat all that. And I was like, oh, yes, I, Goldberg's makes really good bagels and really good latkes. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm eating all of this. <laughs> I
0: think I had the most traditional breakfast of the three of us. I had pizza, um, which I just ate. Wait, Was it cold, cold pizza? No, it was not. I heated up in the you oven. Can, no, um,
3: the thing about pizza for breakfast is you can eat it cold or warm. And it's correct. It's completely yes. acceptable. Right. I'm a warm pizza kind
0: of guy. I warmed it up and finished it maybe 10 minutes before we jumped on and started recording this. So let's
3: talk about the game, because I know a lot of people were eating last night at the carrier dome. Uh, right. So we have to do, as is as is tradition, uh, we need to do headlines. And I grabbed I know that we got a few of them from listeners. We also got a few emails from listeners who were at the game yesterday, which uh, which was pretty cool. But I, I did want to um, give a, a a couple headlines that we had gotten by oh, on the topic of going to the game. By the way, I very briefly yesterday entertained the idea of driving to Syracuse uh, for this game. It's only but then I realized I was like, oh, I can I can make it right. It's not it's not like impossible. And then I realized I was going to have to spend 10 hours in the car by myself. um, And I just was not physically ready for that and had not decided ahead of time. So uh, I, I I missed a fun one, which is a shame, but a couple of headlines that came in. So uh, from listener Ronald, we had DBD threes bring made, bring glee and orange aid, uh, which was, which was hard to read. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say that
1: one was a mouthful
3: (laughs) Tough to read out loud, but, but fun. And Jared Strauss, uh, gave us Marmalade, Duke Jams on orange. Um,
1: and by the way, Jared, shout out to Jared, because he pointed out in his email, he said, Jason, Jason will really enjoy the shot chart from this game. Um, and he pointed out that every shot was from the three or the paint. People, if you have not, if you have not gone on ESPN and looked at the shot chart from this game, it is, it is a work of art. It is a thing of beauty. It should be framed and hung in a museum. Jared is 100% right. Every single shot is either beyond the three-point line or in the lane, except for one. Mark Williams took a little jump hook from the baseline that's just outside the lane, probably about an eight or 10-foot jump hook. It was very late in the shot clock. I remember the shot when he took it, and I was like, that's not going in. It didn't go in, but that is like literally the only mid-range shot that Duke took this entire game. Oh, magnificent.
3: Paul, listener Paula also had a sliced, diced, and pureed for for this game uh which which I appreciated Donald I will let you go first on your headline now that we've gotten the listener headlines out of the way what did you have for this one
0: so mine is duke beats the blood
1: orange pulp out of syracuse going with that theme very good jason what do you got i have it's raining threes as duke again crushes the orange
3: i had duke gets carried away in in route of Syracuse.
1: <laughs> oh, Sam wins. <laughs> Sam wins. So, That's good, man.
3: Um, everyone the 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 nice when you play Syracuse and you beat the crap out of them, uh, there are just too many ways that you can you can pun this one to death, which is awesome. So, all right. Duke beats Syracuse 97 to 72 in the carrier dome. It's a 25-point victory that arguably felt bigger. Could it possibly have felt bigger? Than the than the final score indicated.
1: Yo, it's like it's like the last time we played them, uh, we won by twenty something. You're like, wow, it felt like it was forty.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so I'll let you guys start with the good, but before I get there, just just a couple of statistical highlights from this game. Mark Williams goes for twenty eight and twelve. He scored twenty eight points in this game. Uh, Paula right. Banquero goes for a, a very pedestrian twenty one and nine, and AJ Griffin had twenty points, uh, including six made three pointers which was one off of the Duke freshman record they mentioned this on the broadcast that uh, Cam Reddish has the freshman record for threes made in a game with seven so AJ was very close to that and he only went six for ten so uh he really needs to step it up if he wants to break Cam Reddish's record he only has <laughs> a few games left for that Duke also or Mike Shashevsky, uh is now I believe five wins away from um from breaking the 1200 win barrier. So getting much closer to that Duke is also uh, now extremely close to clinching outright uh, ACC regular season title victory. All right. That is all the, the background here, Jason, you're going to go first. I want your good from the Syracuse game. And something tells me we're going to spend a lot more time in this section than we do in the bad.
1: Yeah. A few weeks ago, I think we got to the bad and I played crickets. I, I could play crickets. I think for the bad again in this game, but in terms of the good, I'm going to go with Mark Williams, Uh, and and Mark is now the only player in the country, the only college basketball player. Think about how many players are playing college basketball. There is only one of them shooting 70% from the field and 70% from the free throw line. In fact, during the month of February, my friend Eric Rothschild messaged this to me. During the month of February, Mark is shooting 80% from the field and 80% from the free throw line. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. And the reason is usually the guys who shoot really high from the field, obviously are guys who play next to the basket, who take a lot of dunks and, and layups and stuff, which is Mark's game. Hey, love it. Great. And and hit them at a high percentage because you got to. But usually those guys are not good enough shooters to be able to hit 70 or 80, 80% is absurd of their free throws. Man, Mark just has touch. Doesn't matter where he is on the floor. And he was... Like you said, twenty-eight and twelve with three block shots. By the way, against a team that doesn't come inside, like Syracuse doesn't attack the basket. Their game is all about they're taking they're taking threes, they're taking pull-up, you know, uh, off the dribble jumpers and stuff like that with the Bayheim brothers and and in uh, Cole Swider and the such. They do not attack the basket. I don't know how Mark got three block shots, but he did. He absolutely owns the paint. He is at this point. You have to start you know, really wondering, is there a better center in college basketball than Mark? I mean, there probably is, uh, you know, Alec Kessler at Auburn. There are one or two other guys who are maybe in the mix, you know, Drew Timmy, I guess at Gonzaga Mark's among the three to five, clearly among the three to five best post players, best big men in all of college basketball at this point, And he has done it by progressing month after month. Look at his monthly statistics, like what he what is he averaging points, rebounds, block shots and such earlier in the season and where he is today. His game just comp- continues to grow and evolve and he's dominant, absolutely dominant.
3: What was impressive to me, Jason, on offense for Mark Williams is how poised he remained behind the zone where he was basically camping out like on the baseline or, or just off the baseline waiting for the ball to come into him either from the elbow or, or from the outside. And, from Paulo, from, yeah, from Paulo, Paulo <laughs> from Paulo or from Wendell Moore, who was in there a little bit. And, and he just remained, Completely in control in that position, which I'm sure feels a little bit uncomfortable, uh, because normally he's not he's not playing that close, he's not waiting around that close to the basket, and especially not with another guy draped over him, which is usually what it's like when you play in the two three zone, because someone is effectively playing right under the basket like that. So he's he's usually got a man, if not two men, on him, and and just handled that really well.
1: Before Donald jumps in on Mark, I, I do want to mention we said in the in the preview. Sam, you weren't here. Donald and I talked about this.
3: I listened Sir- to the preview, though. I listened to the whole show, yeah, so so you know what I'm bringing up. Great, Syrac- great program. I re- folks. If you didn't listen to the last show, great episode. <laughs> like and subscribe. Uh, I think no. I think I think I'm on uh, I think I'm on 1.3 or 1.2 speed for this show that I don't normally li- I download, but I don't normally necessarily listen to it because I already heard it. But in any event,
1: I, I was going to mention Syracuse had lost their uh, their center James Edwards earlier in the season. And, uh, and I, I, said that it was going to really impact their ability to control the inside and, and that bore out in a very big way with Mark Williams, just repeatedly getting slam dunks, easy post moves, uh, they, and they ones. Were, yeah, they were, and ones, yeah, they were, they could not contest him at all.
0: You know, I think when it comes to Mark, like we've talked about his efficiency, Jason, we we've joked that he's our best mid range shooter. Uh, because he is and the fact that he's been able to uh, just be a beam be just an absolute demon inside I mean he knew that there that there was a weakness and he exploited it I did want to go back Sam to the fact that you mentioned that we had three guys over 20 points that's the first time that's happened since that Kentucky game back in November 2018 when RJ Cam and Zion all went for 20 plus points uh so that can I I, wait
1: wait really quick can I ask how often do you guys rewatch that game (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, the highlights, I, it's like a regular like once-a-month thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the highlights on YouTube or something like that, or on Twitter, the, the highlights from that game get posted on Twitter, on my Twitter feed, like once a week. And I think I don't skip them ever.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to say, for this game, what the parallel between that game and this one is the fun that this team was having. Like, you could hear on the broadcast, like, some of the mics were picking up just how they were celebrating every shot every dunk, every and one, like this team was having a ton of fun out there. And it, of course you have a game where you're shooting like that. You're going to have a lot of fun with it, but there were, I mean the, the gym, I mean, they talked about, first of all, they talked about, I, I will say, shout out to the Syracuse crowd for showing up. There's 33,000 people there last night. They had, they set a record for the number of students to ever witness a game. They had 8,800 students. Keep in mind that Duke's undergrad population is 6,600 students. So we could fit all we could fit all of duke into cameron and they still wouldn't have eclipsed what they brought last night so hats off to them but hats off to us for taking them out of the game from the opening tip like they had a lot of fun with it and really it became where they were just kind of talking about our players and what they're going to do in the draft next year like that is that's how delightful this game was these guys were having a lot of fun the three of those guys uh, aj griffin paulo bancaro and mark williams especially were just kind of having fun playing off of each other. They were finding each other on the wings for shots. They were finding each other in the paint. Uh, pa- I mean, Paulo had nine assists and I feel like half of them were wraparound assists to Mark Williams for a dunk or a lay in for, for an and one. So that it, I, I love this type of basketball and I love that they saw the plan. They knew what they had to do to duplicate it from last time. And they just went out and redid it.
3: Jason, one of the topics that we have been harping on recently, the Duke, you know, like is it is a source for improvement. Is Paulo Bancaro's performance, and I, I think that that is at, at both ends of the court, where we know what he's capable of, we know how he prepares, and and we've said in recent weeks about how one of the things that is keeping Duke from its ceiling is is Paulo's play. What did you see yesterday from Paulo Bancaro that might indicate that that he's about to hit that next gear?
1: Well, so the important thing to note is that playing against a zone, especially the Syracuse zone is not like playing against a man-to-man, which is, which is what has bothered Paulo lately. And, and I really think this is... I don't, I don't want to read too much into this one game uh, versus what has been a, a month of struggles for Paulo Bancaro. Um, he usually is having trouble with double teams, with teams who are playing him man to man. And then when he gets the ball, they have a, uh, another guy, usually another big run at him to double team him. And, and that's not the way Syracuse plays. So this wasn't necessarily him correcting what has been wrong with Duke's offense lately. So I, I want to start by saying that that said, I mean, a great game for him. And I, I, I want to start with the three pointers. It, Paul has really struggled on threes. Uh, in, in recent weeks, um, he is he's just been three for his past 20 on three-pointers. He was four of seven in this game. And by the way, all four of the ones he hit were from the corner. He was four of four on three-pointers taken in the corner. He missed the ones And he took was up set.
3: Talent.
0: And he was set. A lot of times you yes. see him like to dribble up to the three-point line and take a shot. Those were ones where because we were moving the ball around, he worked his way into the corner and was set. All he had to do was pop and swap. And I love that he was able to maximize that last night.
1: Yeah, and it is worth noting that where, where Paul has been struggling lately has been those threes from the top of the circle and, and, and from the you know sort of elbow extended. And this time, we got him down in that corner, and, and it seemed to really, really work for him. Uh, look, you guys already talked about a little bit about the assists. Nine assists is a, a ridiculous, huge number for a guy like him. We played through him all game long, and, and he was able to find mostly Mark Williams for assists. Um, by the way, crazy stat line from him: nine assists. He, he takes seven threes, and he only gets one rebound. Was Paulo playing point guard? I mean, <laughs> it's a was very, it was very
3: bizarre. Other than other than AJ Griffin turning into the volume three point shooter, uh, everything about yesterday's game was was somewhat bizarre uh, in terms of output.
1: Yeah, but th- so the last thing I wanted to say about Paulo was in the post game news conference, Coach K said that Paulo has been thinking too much, and I I, I feel like. I've, you know, I feel like you can see that on the floor, that when the ball comes to him, he tries to analyze what the situation is once he gets the ball. And Coach K said they've been telling him, analyze it first, play faster. Don't analyze once you get the ball. Once you get the ball, you need to attack. You need to do something. And that has absolutely been the case with Paulo lately. And Coach K added that John Shire has been spending a tremendous amount of time working one-on-one with Paulo about speeding up his game. About figuring out what he wants to do before he gets the ball, and then doing it once he has the ball. I I don't know if it's working yet, because again, it's it's Syracuse, and and it's just it's different than any other defense you're going to play against. But boy, you had to like the results that we saw last night. And honestly, Jason, when you
0: talk about the fact that he was overthinking things, I I I don't blame him for that, because if you think about you know the great players in this game right now, they always talk about how those players think two, three moves ahead and they're always looking down the court or they're always looking for this and they're always analyzing that. And it's almost expected for the great players to have this brain that's just going to just be an algorithm that computes everything in the span of 0.3 nanoseconds and they're able to make the correct play every single time. He's learning that that's not always going to be the case. And he's learning that sometimes you can't overthink on the basketball court and that limits the fun that you're having, which is why I think him having fun last night, shooting those corner threes, Doing some you know magic style passes inside the paint to Mark Williams, those sort of things that where you know he's having fun with it, it it reduces the thinking part of the game and gets more into the back into the fun element of when you're shooting well and you're playing well and your team's playing well and you're having fun out there, you're being a better basketball player for yourself and for your teammates.
3: On the topic of big men, I suppose, uh, but this sort of applies to the whole team. One of the things that we've harped on that, that Duke has gotten better at, I think, recently, and which really showed out yesterday and was a, a key part of them just taking the, the game away early, was the offensive rebounding. Um, Duke actually pulled down more offensive rebounds than Syracuse had defensive rebounds yesterday. Which that alone—that's absurd. You, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's domination. <laughs> uh, and sort yeah. of, no matter how you how you slice it, um, if you're if you're getting more of the more of the uh, rebounds off of your own offensive glass than the opponent is. you are very likely winning the game and winning by a lot. and Duke was doing that a ton yesterday, getting second chance points. Mark Williams being uh, one of the key beneficiaries of that, but also Duke being able to to kick it out for more threes was essential here. and Syracuse's zone, by the way, prioritizes getting defensive rebounds. like that's one of the um, that's one of the hallmarks of playing a good zone is that if nothing else, you know, you, you you sort of force guys to take shots farther away from the basket, and then whatever happens, you're going to get the ball because you've got guys who are already. You have multiple guys who are already close to the basket uh, when when the ball goes up. So uh, that that's just another great indicator for Duke. I know we talked about how Syracuse is not really where they where where we would expect them to be uh, at this point in the season. They they and and they have injuries that are especially hurting them on the front line but a great indicator for Duke that they're, that they're able to comfortably out-rebound this team.
0: Mark Williams had eight offensive rebounds last night. I think he only had four defensive rebounds last night. But on those eight offensive rebounds, I feel like five or six of them, he was able to just take the ball and go right back up and, and get a layup or get a dunk. So uh, I really, that's the aggression that we thought that Mark Williams was going to have this entire season he's starting to show that more and more now and also he's showing confidence because like we've talked about he knew that he was the biggest guy on the floor he knew that no one could touch him so he just said okay I'm just gonna go and get these boards and once I get the ball in my hands nobody can stop me that's the type of dominance that we were expecting
1: from Mark Williams the whole season and we've seen you know especially over the month of February so speaking of those offensive rebounds like Sam said Duke Duke had more offensive rebounds than Syracuse had defensive rebounds. Our, our, our rebound, our offensive rebound rate was 53%, which is outrageous. But as a result of that, there would be long stretches of the game where Duke would just score on every single possession. We had one stretch where we scored on 10 out of 11 possessions. I mean, that's incredibly demoralizing. If you are a defense, if you're trying to catch up, we were already ahead. It was from the 18 minute mark to the 11 minute mark of the first half. We were already ahead. And then we scored on 10 out of 11 possessions and at that point, Syracuse is just dead in the water. They're, you know, they've got no chance. There are a couple other stats I want to point out really quickly. One is Duke only had six turnovers in this game. That's a great number. Now, again, the Syracuse zone is not about turning you over, but still to be able to hold on to the ball, not commit any mistakes, it's a big deal. And then, Donald, I'm stealing it from you probably. Donald's favorite statistic, you know, assist rate. How many assists do you have for how many field goals you made? Outrageous last game for Duke. They had 26 assists on 35 made field goals against Syracuse. 26 out of 35, that's an assist rate of 74.3%. And think about the fact that, like you guys mentioned, we had some offensive rebounds that turned into putbacks. So, I mean, basically every time we were in sort of a offensive set and we passed the ball to a guy and he shot it, (laughs) you know, we got an assist like virtually every one of those baskets. It was just great ball movement. Can
0: I talk about the the best mistake of the night. The best mistake of the night was Wendell Moore on that fast break where he was trying to get the ball to Trevor Keel. Oh, that was so funny. So instead he decided to just yam
3: on the entire, on the entire carrier dome. I, I was I going to mistake. say that, that Wendell Moore only had one two point basket made on the night, but man, did he make it count? Uh, I think Donald, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Mark Williams dunks earlier, but the best dunk of the night has to come for Wendell Moore. I mean, that was absolutely, it, it was ferocious.
1: And, and and by the way, the thing about Wendell's game, uh, he didn't get a 10-5 five, and five because he didn't score enough points, which is kind of he had six rebounds, six assists, but he didn't get enough points to get to a 10-5 five, and five. But I thought Wendell had a great game. I loved his defense. If you watch the defense he was playing on Buddy Beheim, now Buddy got hot for a little while, but Buddy was outstanding in this game. But all the shots he was hitting were really difficult. They were, you know, he was stepping to the side, he was doing step-back jumpers and stuff. Hardest shot to take in basketball. Wendell did not give him an easy shot the entire game. And the two of them were matched up every single time. And, and you know, there's, there's a great race going on right now in the ACC for ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And it's a three-man race. It's between Mark Williams, Wendell Moore, and Reese Speakman of Virginia. Reese is a great defender. Uh, I'm a little bit afraid that, that people who love Duke will will split their votes between Wendell Moore and Mark Williams and that Reese Speakman will slip in there because I think the two best defenders needs the best perimeter defender in the ACC, the best one-on-one defender is Wendell Moore and the best post defender, the best rim protector is Mark Williams. That is a wonderful luxury to have on your team.
0: I, I just want to comment really quickly. This is not necessarily having to do with either Duke or Syracuse, but um, Dave O'Brien and Corey Alexander were on the call last night for ESPN and I really loved their commentary on the game. I, I thought it was—I uh, mean, Corey Alexander. I—I I, I told my best friend this this morning. He's fastly becoming, in my mind, one of the best color commentators that they have at ESPN. He's—he had a great insight on the game. He was able—the fact that he played obviously lends himself to be able to see things on the court. But he knows the ACC very well. And Jason, that—that that defensive player of the year race that you were talking about, he mentioned that in depth, and he also talked about some of the qualities that these guys have. Uh, in, in, each, in each of their facets of, of how they're doing on defense, I thought he did that very well. So I just wanted to shout them out because I thought not only was this a delightful game to watch, it was a delightful game to listen to because I thought they did a great job at calling the game.
3: All right, guys, let, let's spend a few minutes uh, in case there is anything to talk about the bad. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you gather your thoughts for a second. Donald, what do you have at all from the bad in this game?
0: For me, it's just the run that Syracuse had at the end of the first half and extended into the second half. They went on a it was a 0 run, uh, basically at the under four timeout leading into the first basket of the second half. And we've seen these you know runs before. Obviously, we've seen these. Donald, by the jumps. way they,
1: they they had they had a run in the second half as well, where, where mm-hmm. you know like every time Duke would get up thirty, Syracuse would go oh no, and they get it back to like fifteen or eighteen, and then Duke would take it back out. But yeah, no, you're yeah, right. At,
0: I think it's one of those things where, of course, you know, we want to limit those as much as possible because that has beaten us in games before. We've had, you know, huge, huge, huge leads and given it away. Obviously, this game was a little more delightful in the sense that we, I mean, before the the under four timeout or under 16 timeout in the first half, this game was over. But you want to limit those opportunities for teams to get momentum, especially on the road and get back in the game.
3: Jason, what did you have from the bad here? If if and if your only thing was was that Duke gave up a couple of runs, I'll take it.
1: <laughs> no, I, I got a couple other things I want to mention just very quickly. It's nothing, obviously, nothing serious. Uh, but um, Joey Baker only plays five minutes in these in this game, and a couple of those were you know some time at mop up time, um, you know, with the end of the bench. Uh, and it's a little surprising to me, I guess, that Joey didn't get more playing time because Syracuse is ideally suited for his outside shooting. And and folks will recall he he scored 11 against Syracuse last time we played them. He had a pretty good game, you know, not his best game of the year, but, you know, probably one certainly one of his five best games of the year was against Syracuse last time. Um, he had that great game against Florida State a few days ago where he was bombing away and he had four three-pointers. But for the most part, Joey Baker's just not getting meaningful minutes for this team. Um, you know, he gets like two or three minutes in the first half, and then he plays at the end of the game, you know, if it's a blowout. And, and it's not so much that it's terrible for the team. I think a lot of why he's not getting minutes is that it's just hard to find time with A.J. Griffin playing this well and Wendell Moore. you know The, the guys who are ahead of Joey Baker are playing too well for us to find minutes for him. Um, but it's still, it's kind of a pity, I think, for his senior year, uh, what is almost certainly going to be his last year at Duke, even though he, he could have another year someplace. But for Joey to be having a season where he isn't getting to play a larger role. Um, I, I, I feel bad for him about that. And again, I thought that Syracuse would be another opportunity for him to play a bit. And then the other guy I wanted to mention was Trevor Keels, um, who, who it seemed like he had a really passive kind of game. Um, he did not shoot much at all, didn't hunt his shot very much. I'm not sure that's a bad thing, by the way, because Syracuse is the kind of team, Trevor Keels usually scores by putting his head down and going hard against his man into the lane. And you can't do that against the Syracuse zone. It's just not, it's not there. It's not available. So I guess maybe Trevor Keel's not shooting a lot was him recognizing what the defense would not give him and what the defense was giving other guys. So that's a good thing. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't a a, a very big game for Trevor Keel's by any stretch. And I also noticed a little bit, it feels to me like Jeremy Roach took a little more of the ball handling duties in this game more than he has lately from Trevor Keel's. Usually we see Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels uh, ahead of Roach, sort of in the ball handling rotation, so to speak. And it felt like Roach has been playing better lately. But look, Jeremy Roach won the game against Virginia. We all said that. No question about it. I expect that when we do player of the week at the end of this podcast, it's possible Jeremy Roach's name will come up. It would not be a surprise given how well he played against Virginia. But I think it's a development and something interesting to look at that I felt like when Roach and Keels were in the game together, that... Roach was playing a little more on the ball and keels a little more off the ball, which is a reverse of what we'd seen in recent weeks.
0: I think when it comes to uh, Joey Baker, I think he's just saving it for senior night. That's that's just, I'm, you know,
3: I'm just going to believe that. Amen, brother. And we will be there, you and me. Uh, extremely jealous of that. I, I did want to close the discussion on the Syracuse game with uh, one email that we got from listener Steven, who mentioned that, I guess this isn't could have gone in the uh, in the good rather than at the end of the bad section here. But uh, Stephen said that he was at the game last night and was sitting near the Duke bench and got to uh, got to talk to Nina King and Mickey Shashevsky for a little bit and said that was extremely cool. And that um, it was truly amazing to hear Coach K give a timeout speech. Uh, I imagine in this game, uh, not as much. Uh, not not as much profanity as coach K is probably capable of in a timeout speech, given that none of the timeouts were, were particularly stressful in this game. So appreciate that. um, Appreciate that from, from listener Steven. All right, guys, we are going to uh, wrap our discussion of the Syracuse game here. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we need to preview Duke's last new ACC opponent. That is the Pittsburgh Panthers, led, of course, by Jeff Capel. Duke is playing them this week. And then after that, we need to do a quick look at the rest of the ACC and the the situation of college basketball around the country. So stick around. So as we mentioned, Duke gets its first crack at the Pittsburgh Panthers on Tuesday night. That game is going to be at the Oakland Zoo at the Pete, uh, Pittsburgh's uh, famous home arena, where normally you would say uh, it, it's, a, it's a dangerous place to play. Pitt's got a great home crowd and the students really show up for them. Um, not sure if that's going to be the case in in this game. Pittsburgh is is not having a great season. They are 11 and 18 overall in the years just 6 and 12 in the ACC. Our uh, our, our our dear Jeff Capel might be uh, might be in a bit of trouble if not for his contract situation at Pitt. So, let's talk a little bit about the performance of the Panthers so far this season in a game that I assume you guys are going to agree with me Duke should be winning, going away, similar to how they played at Syracuse. But Donald, let's go to you first. Tell me about Pittsburgh's uh, recent performance in the ACC.
0: It's not been good. Uh, I'll say their only key win that they have this year is against UNC. Um, And uh, that was probably the shock shock of, of the ACC so far this season as far as upsets when it comes to the conference play. But uh, they have some bad losses this year. The Citadel, UMBC, Monmouth, Georgia Tech, and Boston College, all of them. And a lot of these uh, games have not been good uh, as far as just how they play. The one thing about Pitt that I think Duke has to remember is that Pitt gives up a lot of assists. It's kind of similar to Syracuse, the game we just played where they – almost allow for teams to pass the ball around and score on them. They're one of the worst teams at allowing assists uh, on made baskets. So I want to see Duke really take note of moving the ball around. They're, they're also going to want to limit p- eliminate possessions because Pitt slows the game down quite a bit. Usually to try to get uh, a, an advantage over the other teams similar to Virginia, but they're not playing a pack line defense like Virginia is, and, and they just haven't been playing sound basketball lately. So Pitt is, is in for it, but I do think this. I know you mentioned that the Oakland Zoo is probably not going to be as raucous as it has been before. This is traditionally a place that we have not played very well since Pitt joined the ACC. So we can't look over the Pitt Panthers. Obviously, Jeff Capel is going to want to get a win against Coach K in his final time coaching against him. He's going to want to get this victory, and he, you know, that is a statement win for, for Pitt, not necessarily for the NCAA tournament, but just to kind of say that, hey, we are improving on this season and we're showing some moxie at the end of the season. But this is something that Duke needs to win. They need to go out, take the crowd out of it, and let's get out of here. I will say I will be at this game on press row. Uh, so if people are going to the game, uh, hopefully I will see you there.
1: I, I I don't think Pitt has much of a chance of winning this game. Uh, Pomeroy gives them a 10% chance, says Duke is a 90% to win this game. I actually think it should be higher than that because – Pitt's playing off the string. They're, they're not making the NCAA tournament. They're not making the NIT tournament. And, and, and Duke is playing for really important stuff. We're, we'll talk a little bit later about you know, the ACC race and, and the race for NCAA seeding and things like that. D- Duke is putting itself in a good position for those things. We cannot let a, a team like Pitt, arguably the worst team in the ACC, um, spill, that, you know, spill that momentum for us. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the advanced stats on Pitt really quickly. 138th best on defense, according to Ken Pomeroy, 229th on offense. That is really bad. So they're, they're a decent, not good, but they're a decent defensive team. They're a horrible offensive team. Um, like Donald mentioned, they are very, very slow. Uh, they're one of the 20 slowest teams in the country on offensive possessions. They move the ball around a lot, and then they turn it over. That's basically what Pitt does. They are 333rd in turnover percentage. 21 and a half percent of their possessions in a turnover one out of every five times Pitt has the ball they turn it over that's awful it is really bad when they don't turn it over they're not very good at shooting it they're 305th in the country at two-point field goal percentage they only hit 32 percent of their three-point field goals the only thing I mean the only thing that they do well on offense is they get to the free throw line they're actually third in the nation at free throws compared to field goals, you know, number of free throws shot versus number of field goals shot. Now, part of that is because they turn the ball over so much, they don't get lots of field goals, <laughs> but but they do a good job of getting to the free throw line. That is literally the only thing that this pit team does well on offense. On defense, they're okay. They're an okay defensive rebounding team. They're a fairly good shot blocking team. You know, you gotta be a little careful uh, taking the ball to the rim against them because they've, they've got some length and they'll block some shots. But they give up a lot of three-pointers, and they don't do a good job defending the three-point line. The last thing I'll say about them is, they are big. Duke is used to, you know, especially Duke's wings. Guys like Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin they're used to playing against guys who are smaller than them. That will not be the case against Pittsburgh. Pomeroy says Ken Pomeroy says that Pitt is one of the 30 biggest teams in the country, and that's mostly because they have a ton of guys between like six, four and six, seven playing for them. And uh, you know, it, it could present a problem for Jeremy Roach. Jeremy Roach usually is matched up against, you know, a guy like him who's 6'0", 6'1", maybe. Pitt plays bigger players at the guard positions, and they've got some size on the front line. So that's, you know, that's one thing. That, about the only thing that Pitt has going for them is that they're one of the few teams in the country that can somewhat match Duke on a size standpoint.
3: Yeah, a couple guys that that kind of stand out to me for Pitt. And, and if you're trying to find uh, reasons why why they might have a, a shot this week against Duke. Uh, one of their most interesting players is a guy who was uh, not available to them for most of the season. That's ETL Horton, who uh, is, is probably Pitt's best shooter. Uh, didn't have a great shooting game most recently in their, in their loss to Miami, but overall is a, is a pretty good shooter from deep. And, and as a guy that Duke needs to, to lock in on to Jason's point about bigger guys, he's only six, three, but he's 200 pounds. So you gotta, you gotta move him off the three point line. Um, the other guy that stands out to me uh, is Femio Odakale, who is a six, five sophomore. Um, another guy who's, who's a pretty good scorer, but he's also a decent distributor and can be a menace on the defensive end. So um, you know, when, when it comes to uh, Duke, uh, attacking Pittsburgh. Jason, you mentioned that their size, they've also they've got size um in, t- in the interior as well as uh, on the perimeter. And uh, again, I I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Pitt's talent and and their cohesion this year is not something that should present a big challenge to Duke, but we have seen Duke get uh get momentarily overwhelmed because they're so excited about a Carolina game. That was the the, you know, after the Carolina game, the first time they lost to UVA at home. So uh, bring the bring the momentum from this road game at Syracuse into the road game at Pittsburgh. Don't look ahead to the Carolina game yet. Don't look ahead to all the hype for all the people who are going to be in the building because we are going to hear. I mean, you heard a ton of it on the broadcast yesterday against Syracuse, partially because the game was such a blowout you had to talk about something. But there are going to be a ton of people uh, in attendance for that Carolina game, everybody's excited for it. But we can't look ahead to that. Duke has an opportunity against Pittsburgh to at least clinch a share of the ACC regular season title, um, and, and and
1: the number one seed. They would get they would because they have the tiebreaker right. over Notre Dame. Duke if Duke beats Pitt, Duke is the number one seed in the ACC tournament.
3: And then Duke can clinch, to, depending on what happens with Notre Dame this week, Duke can then clinch the outright ACC regular season title uh, against UNC. But but you know, heads down, stay focused um, because the other thing, and we will get to this in a second, is the the broader discussion around what's going on in the rest of the country in college basketball. As we mentioned uh, last week, when the uh, NCAA men's basketball committee put out their initial top 16 seeds and we noted that Duke was number eight overall we said that they don't have a ton of opportunities probably to improve but there are places where Duke can stumble here and so losing to Pittsburgh or even having a a an okay game against Pittsburgh Duke does not want to does not want to um, have any reason for the committee to doubt their ability to to hang with everyone this season so let's hope that Uh, Duke is able to put away Pittsburgh similarly to the way that they were able to put away Syracuse this week. So speaking of the situation around the country, if you were not named Duke and you were in the top 10 going into this weekend, it is almost certain that you lost your game. Um, The headliner late last night, if you stayed up for it, is that Gonzaga went on the road to St. Mary's who is a very good program. They're they're uh, ranked, they're like low in the 20s. Um, certainly making the NCAA tournament has always been a, a thorn in Gonzaga's side, but St. Mary's takes out the Zags 67 to 57. Arizona lost yesterday at uh, University of Colorado. Uh, it was very cool to see them storming the court there in Boulder. Um, Auburn went on the road to Tennessee, uh, which was an incredible environment. And of course, there's all the all the Bruce Pearl returning to Tennessee stuff. Uh, as as he has to do every year, um, Auburn loses to Tennessee in a really exciting game. Not sure if either of you guys got to catch that one, but it was it was a fun one in Knoxville yesterday. Um, Purdue gets taken out by Michigan State. Kansas loses to Baylor again. Not like it's the most crushing loss. Baylor is 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 very strong this season, and and I believe was even ranked ahead of Kansas or, or right next to Kansas in the NCAA's initial. Um, bracket reveal. Kentucky loses to Arkansas again. Not the worst loss. Arkansas is also very good. Um, and all Texas these games Tech... are road
1: games. These are yeah. all road games. All road games. Texas the road Tech. Except
3: Duke. And and Texas Tech loses on the roads to TCU. Maybe this is the like between that and and Arizona losing to CU. Uh, these are like the worst losses of the weekend. None of these are backbreakers. But top ten teams just taking an, an enormous beating yesterday um, around the country. So Donald, um, as we as we look ahead to to NCAA tournament seating and sort of think about the implications here what does this mean to you
0: yeah so uh, I I saw this article uh, on 538 yes or I guess the other day and they had a couple of stats that I thought were interesting and they were kind of talking about how the country has really taken a bath on the ACC this season and really you know poo-pooed it considering you know there's just how teams have been playing And so he mentioned some stats about the ACC, and I think people need to have a nice reminder of how strong the ACC has been uh, over the past 15 years. Since 2007, the ACC has won 138 NCAA tournament games. That's the most of any conference. They have five national champions, most of any conference. And they boast the highest tournament win percentage of 61.6% of all games played, they win. So the issue is this one of the things that they've been looking at is just how teams are ranked, right? And, and how they're looking at the ACC and that basically since the start of the poll, the ACC has only had one team and that's Duke that's been in the top 25 for most of the season. There's a legitimate possibility that this will be the first time in 55 years that one there's not one conference game that has two ranked teams in it. That's kind of bizarre for the ACC. 55 years, not one game has featured two ranked teams. Because, of course, the only ranked team this entire season has been Duke. But I will say this about Duke, and I know people are kind of using what happened yesterday as kind of a a way to say that, hey, maybe Duke still has an outside shot at the number one seed. This is this key stat right here. No ACC team has ever won the regular season and the conference tournament and failed to secure a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. So... Duke basically is controlling its own destiny with regards to getting a number one seed. If they can win out and they can win the, the ACC tournament, they almost are going to be locked. Despite the fact that the ACC has been a down conference and people have been kind of poo-pooing it away for the last you know, three months, they can still have the best team in the conference secure a number one seed. Now, I know there's a lot of work to do, but I think that it, it, in light of what happened yesterday, there really is no team in the country that can't be beat. Everyone is beatable. There's no one team that's just a rock star above everybody else. And that's where I think Duke can slide in. But I also think it does take a rising tide to lift some of these ships. Duke is going to have to make sure that's not necessarily let some of these teams win, but ACC teams have to show out this last week to show the tournament committee that yes, we can beat teams that are better than us because as of of right now, the only team that will be probably favored in an NCAA tournament game will be the Duke blue
3: devils. We got an email on this topic, Donald, uh, and and I I wanted to um, to pull this into the discussion because I think you were uh, you were alluding to all this from listener Brian. Uh, He asked. He said he wanted to get our thoughts on NCAA projections. He says. I'm not one that gets overly caught up in bracketology because ultimately you have to prove it on the court. I will say that I am slightly annoyed by Lenardi this year. Yes, we realize the ACC is having a historically bad season, but I don't think it's as bad as the metrics and national media are suggesting. I think Miami, Notre Dame, UNC and Wake could all win a game or two in the NCAAs, even as low seeds. Duke has wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky Four losses are combined. Uh, Total of nine points and has won eleven of their last twelve. How are we barely holding on as a two seed? It used to be that the final ten games were one of the selection committee's criteria, but I haven't heard that discussion. Is that still a measure? I know no, their net not. is low, but I think that's one of the several metrics the committee uses. Anyway, hope you could provide some more clarity on that. So, Jason, um, I, I believe that that uh, Brian's thinking is. Maybe outdated from from where where we are today in terms of the committee because as Donald was talking about it's it's like the ACC is probably as bad as like overall is as bad as as the national commentators are talking about and the difference I think what what the listener is is referring to is that look the ACC has a handful of teams that may be able to win first round games but those teams are going to be. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 seeds, they're not going to be three, four, five, six seeds, right?
1: Yeah, no, uh, there's no one in the ACC other than Duke that is going to be higher than, I, I maybe there's an outside chance someone like a Notre Dame or Wake Forest or North Carolina might get to like an eight. Like but,
3: if they make a run to the ACC tournament final
1: and yeah, beat Duke along the and way. Beat, and beat Duke. Yeah, they would have to beat Duke. They'd have to beat Duke and, and look really impressive doing it. For, for any of these teams to get, to get uh, to, I think even to an eight seed. I think they're all looking at being like nine, 10, 11 seeds. Uh, uh, first of all, I, one thing that he mentioned, the, the NCAA no longer considers your final 10 games. They consider your complete body of work. Uh, it's been that way for, I think like at least three or four years now. And, and that's fine. Basically I that since makes...
0: they instituted the net when they converted yeah. to the net from
1: the RPI. Right. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, I want to push back a tiny bit on Donald, you saying if Duke wins out, Duke's going to be a number one seed. I agree with you. I think that's very, very likely. But I don't think Duke's in complete control of their destiny because I believe there are still teams ahead of them. I believe that the team's ahead of Duke, um, other than Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga's going to win their tournament. Gonzaga's regular season is over. They're going to win their tournament in all likelihood and, and get a number one seed. Um, the other teams that are sort of in contention for that number one seed are going to have more impressive games than Duke down the stretch. You know, if you're a, if you're a Arizona, if you're a Kentucky, uh, if you're Baylor or Kansas, if you're Auburn, if you're Purdue, you're going to be playing quad one, you know, really good, impressive teams teams, ranked teams, Donald, you pointed out, ACC has no rank. you have be playing ranked teams, both in your final regular season game and in your postseason tournament. And Duke's not going to have any of that. So I think we need a couple of these teams to lose a game for Duke to get a chance to get a number one seed. We, we can't vault over them by winning games. We vault over them when we win and they lose. That said, a lot of them play each other, you know, Kentucky and Auburn can't both win the SEC tournament. Kansas and Baylor can't both win the Big 12 tournament. So, so one of them is going to lose and I think we probably only need a couple of them to lose for Duke to get there. Um it's not it's not a sure thing, but it's it's close. See, and and the bottom line is Duke has to take care of business.
3: Jason, though, the 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 thing that I push back on is Gonzaga has a number 1 seed locked up. Like like unless mm-hmm. And I, I guess they could they could lose what they have one more regular season game, and then they'd have to lose early in their tournament. Um, and even then, their resume is so good that it probably shouldn't matter. And then you have to have at least one SEC and one Big 12 team as number one seeds, if not multiple of them, in addition to the good teams that are coming out of the Big 10 and the good teams, Arizona specifically, coming out of the Pac-12. So it feels like to me that you'd have to have a, a – Super bizarre set of of losses to happen for Duke to be considered all the way like in that
1: in that top four. I I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I agree with you. I think Gonzaga is number one. I think uh, Arizona is is very very close to having it locked up. Um, you know maybe if they go into a swoon if they lose two more games, but I think Arizona probably has room to even lose one more game and still be a number one seed. Uh, the The question really is you know, it's like Kentucky and Auburn um, and Baylor and Kansas. And I, I think one of Baylor or Kansas will probably be a number one, but I'm not convinced that Kentucky and Auburn, that one of those teams automatically gets to the, to the number one seed line for that last number one seed, because first of all, Tennessee could win the sec. That wouldn't be a crazy thing that happened there. There are good teams in the sec LSU. Heck LSU is a really good team. They could knock someone off and, and I think like especially if it's Kentucky, if Duke and Kentucky are right next to each other, I think Duke may get the bump because we have the regular season win over them. And and Auburn actually isn't as good, even though Auburn's record looks great, their their advanced metrics are not they're not as strong as you would think. Like Auburn's won a lot of close games. In fact, Auburn's been losing a lot of games they probably should have lost, but they found a way to win at the you know last minute or two. So I, I there's still a path, I think, for Duke. I think when it comes to
0: when I mean, controlling our own destiny is we, I think we still do. It's not necessarily the end goal being a number one seed. I think honestly, if, if you're coach K and the coaching staff and the players, they want to stay close to home. And I think the destiny that they have is Greenville, Philadelphia, which is the East region. And if they're, if, if they're the number one seed in the ACC tournament and they win the ACC tournament, chances are they're either getting a number one seed, which is great or they're going to be the strongest two seat one of the strongest two seats and they'll be placed in the east which is exactly where they want to be because they want to do Greenville, Philadelphia, then New Orleans. So I think those sort of pathways are still there, but it all starts with one thing. Win the ACC. It starts with that. If they don't win the ACC, we can we we don't have to worry about this discussion because they will have their hands at the at the mercy of the media uh, of the uh, committee. But I do think also it's similar to football, right, where you had Cincinnati you know, who was winning all their games, and everybody's like, I don't know, their conference is kind of weak, uh, but, they're, but they were a strong team. The only parallel, the only difference between that is that Duke is in a power five conference. So Duke can then say, Hey, look, it does not matter what you think of the ACC. It is a power five conference. It has some of the best teams and players in the country, and we just destroyed everybody, and we beat the, everybody in the ACC, and we won the ACC tournament. Their resume will be on parallel with everyone else in the country.
1: The one thing I want people to watch. When it comes to – you're right, Donald. Duke's preferred path is Greenville and then Philadelphia. The one thing I want people to watch is watch Villanova because uh, if Duke gets Philadelphia, we don't want Villanova to be a three seed. We don't want Villanova to be the three seed in, in that bracket. Villanova sort of gamed their schedule this year. They intentionally played less games in the Wells Fargo Center than they ordinarily would. So that they could still go there for the NCAA tournament, there are a lot of people talking about this and saying that this is wrong. Ordinarily, the Wells Fargo Center, where the where the Philadelphia regionals is being played, is Villanova's home floor, and there are a lot of people who are saying it would be really unfair to the NCAA to put Villanova. You know how unfair would it be to a two seed and to a one seed for them to essentially be playing road games against Villanova, who's lower seeded than they are? It's one thing if Villanova was a one seed; you go, okay, well they kind of earned that. But it's a whole different story. If you're the number two, like Duke, and Villanova falls through the three line, they might be a two, by the way. Villanova might be a two. But if you're, if you're in Philadelphia and Villanova is a lower seed than you, it, is, it would not be fair for the NCAA tournament to put Villanova in that bracket. And I hope that they don't. But that's one thing to watch out for because there's a very real possibility of that. And they've done that before uh villanova has because uh, this was a couple years
0: ago when they were winning ncaa championships they did the same thing because philly was uh i don't think it was a regional but i think it was like the first round and they knew that they wanted to play there and kind of stay at home but it's a very su- significant advantage but i will say this i feel comfortable about that because apparently we're the road beaters we-, we kill everybody on the road so far this season so i feel like i feel confident uh in the ncaa tournament having to play a road game i just would prefer not to
3: and duke Almost always plays its its first round games in the NCAA tournament wherever all the Carolina fans are anyway. So um, nothing exactly. nothing new about that. <laughs> and I and I'll say by the way, uh, I I know I mentioned this last time. If Duke doesn't get Philadelphia, like Duke is almost certainly getting Greenville for that um, for that first weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there's nobody else. Uh, there's nobody else. That's basically right? right? Um, among those top one, two, three seeds. Even if Duke doesn't get Philadelphia, if they get Chicago or even San Francisco, those are, you know, th- there are tons of Duke fans and Duke alumni in those places. Even San Antonio, I think, has a, has a decent population for it. Um, a, a Duke trip to Chicago, I was in Chicago a few years ago when Duke was there for, for Champions Classic. I can tell you, even though um, that event was against Kentucky and Michigan State. Um, and, and Kansas, who are all closer to Chicago and, and have big fan bases there, no shortage of Duke fans in the arena uh, at the United Center. So,
1: Coach K going home. That'd be Coach K going yeah, home. Yeah, I'm about year. to say that so, storyline.
3: That yeah. storyline is there too. So I, so I would not be beyond them to say that. Um, so I'm as far as this year goes, I'm not Philadelphia. Honestly, now that you've talked about this Villanova angle, Philadelphia might be the worst place to go um, (laughs) because Duke's (laughs) going to have fans anywhere they go this season. And, you know, maybe in San Antonio, you run into one of those Texas teams, but, And in San Francisco, it's not like it's not like Gonzaga is is so close to San Francisco that everybody from Spokane is picking up and and going to that game. Same thing for Arizona. So uh, I'm, I'm not worried about where Duke gets shipped this season. I think that the way that things have fallen in the ACC and and where the NCAA tournament sites are is not so bad. This is not Duke having to go to Omaha. Um, and playing Kansas in Omaha which would is, you right. know is is the way it was a few years ago and is a much different scenario. Um, this year they're playing in big cities where Duke's going to have a big presence. So uh, yeah, we'll 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 kind of see how that plays out. All right guys, we need to do our player of the week picks because it is the weekend. Duke had two games this week, of course, the uh, close win against Virginia uh, and in Charlottesville, and then also that big win on the road against Syracuse. So let's do player of the week picks. Uh, Jason, I think, gave a little bit of a, of a preview about guys he was thinking about, at least. Jason, who are you taking for player of the week?
1: Yeah, so I wanted to shout out Jeremy Roach, who uh, was amazing against Virginia and, and had a, a nice game against Syracuse But it wasn't enough for me. Uh, Mark Williams is my pick for player of the week. Absolutely dominant, just dominant in both those games. Ridiculous statistics. And uh, as I said earlier, seems to be playing better and better and better as the season moves on. Eye-popping results. Just his stats are crazy. And um, yeah, he's my pick as player of the week.
3: Donald, who you got?
1: Uh, This was a difficult one
0: for me because I considered Jeremy Roach and I considered Mark Williams, but ultimately I'm going with AJ Griffin uh, for his shooting in both games. Uh, I mean, he hit nine threes this week uh, is probably the best shooter in the ACC. One of the best shooters in the country from beyond the arc. And really is just every single one is a backbreaker to whoever team he's facing. So uh, I love to see the kid play. I've loved, you know, watching him develop into this dynamic shooter. He's my guy.
1: Hey, if you took, the final five minutes against Virginia, and the first five minutes against Syracuse. I think A.J. Griffin had like 30 points. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> and and I was looking this morning, A.J. Griffin is now up to hitting 50% of his threes in ACC play. And so he got a little is bit of a good? slow start.
1: Is that a good number? <laughs> uh, he he got a
3: bit of a slow start, obviously, because of the injury. And then, and then he was working his way back into the rotation. But since conference play started, he's hitting 50% of his three-point attempts. Um, that is stupid, and and on the season he's just under fifty. I think he's at forty eight or forty nine. Forty eight percent. he's at a clean fifty yeah. percent in conference play. So um, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to leave AJ Griffin open. All right, so he, he's, he by more. the way,
1: AJ Griffin is he's one three pointer away from being fifty percent. He's at fifty six out of one fourteen. If he was fifty seven out of one fourteen, he would be he would be at exactly fifty percent. So keep
3: tracking that as we, as we near the end of the season. So Jeremy or uh, Jason took Mark Williams, Donald took AJ Griffin. Jason talked about Jeremy Roach. I have not gotten a chance to take Jeremy Roach. I don't think in a player of the week award this season. So why not? I'm going to give it to Jeremy Roach for all the reasons that, um, that that Jason stated it's great to have him uh, playing well. We have bemoaned Jeremy Roach. I know the last few weeks. So To have him um, rounding into form here, being uh, a bit of a defensive pest off the bench, being a little bit of a scorer, taking a a backseat distributor role for this team uh, could be huge for them come tournament time because any of these guys can get in foul trouble or any of these guys can have off-shooting nights or just not be in it. And Jeremy Roach has an opportunity to to be a key part of this team in multiple games in the NCAA tournament. You guys also mentioned on the last episode, I told you that I listened, you mentioned on the last episode that Jeremy Roach led the team in scoring, which was now the sixth player this season to lead Duke in scoring. You know who guessed that six different guys would lead Duke in scoring this season in the stats game? This guy. So I have won <laughs> that category. The two of you guessed five. I said six, and I have been I have been staring at that one all year because I th- figured that 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 time was running out for Roach or for Joey Baker. Um. So so here we are. I have won that category. So, uh, Donald you,
0: you, so, so Jeremy Roach bribed bribed the uh, player of the week thing. You took him because he, he helped you win a stat. Game.
3: There's no look. There's no there's no <laughs> ethic uh, behind our behind our selections here. Donald already won the uh, the walk ons points total. We already um, we already beat that that topic to death on a recent episode. Um, and the, uh, the 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 three point shooting, uh, Donald is also going to uh, going to run away with that one because he's the one that that picked AJ Griffin. Um, I'm going to say out of nowhere uh, because I can't believe that that you knew that one was coming. So I almost, I almost
1: <laughs> laughed at him when he took AJ Griffin. I was like, really? I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I what AJ do you was mean? Like,
3: and I, look, I admittedly, like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not no watching would be this good. I'm not watching all the all the high school mixtapes. I just saw the shape of AJ Griffin, and I was like, I mean, he seems like he's going to be awesome. I just don't know that he's going to be the best shooter. Like, look at the shape of his shoulders. How could hey. he possibly shoot like that?
0: Hey, sixty percent of the time, I'm right every time.
3: <laughs> exactly. I, th- I think that is. I think it's <laughs> probably about about what you're uh, about what you're shooting from the field. Okay, guys, yeah. we need to get out of here. Duke plays Pittsburgh as we said on Tuesday. That is going to be their first game. do in March. Uh, it is it is March. It is officially um is officially tournament season here uh, in college basketball and on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. But until then. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 395 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love the headlines. We love the reviews. We love that you're trying to see us at games. We love all of it. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home.
1: Fine job, gentlemen. Sweet. Uh, And we recorded it. Yes. Twice.
2: videos it's people like you and me it's community it's incredible trainers it's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better and you can get started with my new program called for beginners only now here's the big surprise if you go to body.com right now that's b-o-d-i.com not only can you get everything body has to offer at 50 percent off with an annual membership you'll also get an additional 20 percent off but only during labor day weekend Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I